You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. What I do. How much of your time was spent and how much was it invested in your goal? Can't do it unless you can overcome adversity. Because that's what makes great things great, is the things that you had to overcome to accomplish them. We have about five choices in our life. And everybody has a choice as to what they want to do and how they want to do that. But if you're going to be excellent or elite, you got to do special things. You have to have special intensity. You have to have special focus. It doesn't matter what God-given ability that you have. But without the rest of it, I'm not sure you ever get excellent or elite. You have to have toughness. What does it take to break you? I don't care what circumstance you're faced with. What does it take to break your focus, to make you give in, you're tired, or you don't feel like giving effort or finishing the play like you should? I'm not saying it's our goal to try to break you. It's just the way it is in football. It's going to be difficult if you're getting yourself ready to play at a high level. And just because you got beat on the last play, that can't affect the next play. That's breaking you. Your frustration is breaking you. What does it take to break you? We should help others. We should serve other people all the time. You cannot be a leader and affect other people if you're not willing to serve other people. Think of our lives as every day we should appreciate the opportunity that we have to accomplish and affect something. Earn this. Everybody made all these sacrifices for you to live. Go live a good life. Be a good father. Help other people. Accomplish something of significance. Make a difference. That would be my message to everybody here. Make a difference and help everybody's spirit in a positive way. God bless you and roll tight. Jay Barker led the Crimson Tide to a national championship in 1992. Winner of the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award and a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. Voted the SEC Player of the Year and was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. Also seeing time with the New England Patriots and the Carolina Panthers. He is the winningest quarterback in Alabama history. 35-2-1. Member of the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Jay Barker brings that same championship quality and football expertise to his own radio network and show. Joining him is Lars Anderson, New York Times best-selling author, 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated, and professor at the University of Alabama. Live from the AVX Studios in Birmingham, Alabama, The Jay Barker Show. Welcome to the show. Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson and Christian Miller. And it is Monday, so uh, we are waiting Nick Saban to approach and turn the mics on the podium there at the Media Center at the Malmore Center. Probably uh, we need to get corrected is, you know, we did get three turnovers defensively, but we also had three turnovers. So, you know, ball security is, you know, a very important part of, being successful uh, gives the other team three extra possessions, possessions where you could have scored. So, um, and I think the emphasis has to continue to be on, you know, whenever you're less than perfect in terms of your execution, whether it's fundamental execution uh, or whatever it is, uh, that's when you get exposed. So um, that's why we got to keep coaching our team uh, to get it right on a, on a consistent basis. Uh, this is one of the greatest, you know, rivalry games in college football. And, you know, most every team in rivalry games, you know, sort of it's a part of their legacy in terms of how, how did they do in the rivalry game. 
And this is one of the biggest ones, and it means a lot to a lot of people in our state. It means a lot to, you know, us, our players, and our fans. And we're going to do the best job we can to, you know, get ready for, you know, this game. I think Cadillac Williams has done a really, really good job. Um, they played really well uh, these last three games. Um, you know, they run the ball effectively. Uh, they got a lot of diversity on offense. Uh, the quarterback's a very athletic player who can run and throw. Um, Tank is one of the better backs in, in the SEC. Uh, their defense is very, very aggressive. Um, you know, Papone is a really good inside backer. Hall is a really good rusher, uh, makes a lot of, creates a lot of negative plays. They're very good on special teams. So uh, this is a very challenging, uh, you know, game for us, and our players are going to have to do a great job of getting prepared to play uh, as well as we played all season. Charlie. You mentioned how well they've played these last three games. When you're watching film, is there maybe a notice, noticeable difference between now and maybe the start of the season? No, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I just think they're playing really well now. Uh, I don't want to, I'm not making an evaluation. You know, I thought they played hard all year long. I think they're, you know, players really compete well and they've done that all year long and uh, they just played really well in the last three games. Michael. Yeah, how has the challenge evolved for Will Anderson this season as teams make adjustments to his skill set? Uh, Will's done great for us. Uh, Will helps other players play better. Uh, it's not just all about what you do. He does his job extremely well. Uh, if they're focusing on him a little bit more, I think it gives other players opportunities to make plays. And uh, But I think he's he competes. He plays hard. Uh, he gives great effort. He sets a good example. He prepares well. Um, we can't ask any more of Will Anderson than what he does, and I think he helps our team as much as any player on our team. This time, Chase. We got to see Elijah Pritchett play a little bit against Austin P. How long did it take him to get back to practice from his injury, and how has he looked in practice since he did? I think he started back like the bye week you know, right around LSU time. So he's been out there practicing for several weeks now and um, mostly on the scout team. Uh, but as he's kind of gotten back in shape and gotten back in football form, um, you know, he's a guy that certainly has done extremely well um, and we think can be a really, really good player. He's got power. He can bend. Uh, he's got good balance and body control. So, you know, somebody that we want to continue to work and develop. How is Senior Day on Saturday kind of an opportunity to recognize what some of not just the star players, but maybe the walk-ons have done for this program over the last four or five years? Well, I think it's an opportunity for us, myself, uh, all the coaches, uh, people at the university, our fans, uh, to actually show um, the appreciation that we all have for you know the sacrifices and the investment that these guys have made, you know, in the program for the last four years, sometimes five. And, um, you know, some of them get a lot of positive accolades uh, because they play and they get a lot of positive self-gratification for the positive performance. But there's a lot of them who, you know, are kind of unsung heroes in terms of, you know, they work hard every week and they play their games on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to help the other guys get prepared for the game and don't get a whole lot of recognition. So, uh, it is a great opportunity for those guys to get some positive self-gratification for all their efforts.
Uh, last year in, in this game, Corey Brooks made some huge plays. Um, what can young guys learn from what he did to step up in, in that kind of those big moments uh, as far as this year's game goes? Well, I, I think that, you know, we need to get all of our players to play to the best of their ability and understand when they have opportunities to make plays. Um, that That's what competition is all about. That's what competing in games like this is all about. And that should be their mindset. And I don't think it, I mean, anytime you got a young player who makes outstanding plays, I think that sets a good example for everybody else on the team that they have the opportunity, uh, capability and possibilities to do the same thing, but they got to do things right to be able to have that happen. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, we got some young receivers. Hopefully they'll step up. You challenged the offensive line early in the season to play more physically. Just how did you see them respond to that, and what sort of growth have you seen from them throughout the year? Yeah, well, I, th- I thought this last week was one of the better games we played up front. Um, we sort of dominated the line of scrimmage, you know, fairly well. Finished a lot of blocks. I think we blocked on the perimeter better than we have all year. Talking about the receivers and and so forth. So, um, you know, I saw a step in the in the right direction, and hopefully, we can. And I saw it in the old Miss game as well, especially in the second half. Uh, we started, you know, dominating the line of scrimmage a little bit, which I think is a really important thing, and it'll be a great challenge for us this week. When you're, sorry, when you're having success running the ball in, in a specific direction in, in one game, does that influence your play calling? Do you kind of ride the hot side or hot hand in that regard? I, I think, you know, sometimes you do things based on what the other team's doing. You know, and some some of the runs get sort of packaged relative to where's the strength of their defense or what are they doing. So, um, I mean, in certain situations, if you think you have significant good matchups on one side of the line versus the other, they may change from week to week. But um, that's where you would probably choose to run the ball. Hey, Coach, in a game like this, as you said, that means so much to so many this week, do you allow your players to lean into that? Or if not, how do you get your players to focus on this and treating it like it's any other game? I don't really, I don't understand the question totally. And Just in a big game like this, is this a, a week that you're going to allow your players to lean into all that noise and all that extra juice outside of the game? Or do you still try to keep it like it's just any other game? Well, you know, it's, they're all big games. And this is obviously a rivalry game, which makes it a, a special game and a special challenge. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't, we, we've tried all year long to get our players to focus on being motivated internally in terms of what they want to accomplish and what they want to do, um, how good they want to be rather than counting on external factors to, sort of create that motivation form. But I think in games like this, you know, there's going to be some external factors that, you know, may may be a positive for some of the guys. Uh, I can't discount that. Coach, he was, a, he was a great running back at Auburn, but, I mean, how have you seen Cadillac Williams kind of infuse juice to their program right now as the interim coach? No, he's done a great job. Um, the energy, the enthusiasm, the way the guys are competing and playing, um, the way they played to win um, is, and that was his personality as a player. 
you know, I remember when I was a coach at the Miami Dolphins, you know, Ronnie Brown and Cadillac were both coming out the same time in the same draft. And we thought they were both great competitors and he certainly was a great competitor. And I think his personality shows in the way his team competes. Finish up with Charlie. Uh, we haven't seen Kyrie Jackson the last two games. Do you have an update on his status? Uh, he's uh, suspended right now. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Everybody, if I don't get a chance to tell you. Hey, are you sick and tired of living with that constant pain in your knees and back? You know, joint pain doesn't just keep you from doing what you love. It affects your job, your relationships, even simple things like above freezing, the low at 41. And tomorrow, mostly cloudy, the chance of a few scattered showers, the high at 56. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 53 degrees in Tuscaloosa. This Thanksgiving week. In order, is it Thanksgiving week or Alabama Auburn week first? What do you think in this state? It's Iron Bowl week, man. It is. It is. Um, that's Lars Anderson. I'm Matt Coulter, Christian Miller, as we bring you a Monday edition of the show. Um, and uh, there are a lot of things to talk about. Alabama Auburn certainly is top of the headline, but what happened this past Saturday, Lars, was just, I mean, I kept kind of thinking somebody should pinch me. This is so bizarre. The near misses, the makes, the stomps. And then there's Hendon Hooker and Jeremy Banks. Did somebody step on the logo? Where do you want to start? It's your call. <laughs> Let's start with the near misses. Okay. How Alabama almost worked their way back into the top four or five. It just bizarre. And you know what? We were giving Jay a lot of grief about that not being able to happen. And about halfway through it, I'm looking at who's leading <laughs> and uh, how many places Alabama can move up? And you're, they could have moved up to fifth. Yep, they could. <laughs> they could have been knocking on the door. I still don't know if it would have been enough to get them into the playoffs. But it had the feel of 2011, if you remember, when like three things had to go Alabama's way this time of year, right? And all three did. And I was there. I was at Baylor uh, when they thumped K State. It was uh, my daughter's wedding. <laughs> That's where we went after the wedding. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that story. I've told it many, many times before. But it it was exactly like 11. And then another game had to go, like Iowa State had to upset. Iowa State uh, had to upset, who was it? Some, was it Oklahoma? Yeah, yeah, something like that. But, but anyway. It was Oklahoma uh, State. Uh, and Iowa State was something like a 20-point dogger. Yeah, yeah it was it was uh, just an unbelievable night. And uh, I remember I, I've written about this extensively where Al- Alabama had – they were playing on Saturday uh, in the Iron Bowl. And uh, on, uh, on Friday night at the hotel, uh, they're all watching the games. And I remember um, uh, uh, Barrett Jones uh, re- recalling the story for me how – 
like the Alabama players were just like running through the halls in the hotel <laughs> because they were so happy. They just could not believe the opportunity that was just afforded them, and you knew they weren't going to uh, miss out on on making the most of it. And they went on to uh, absolutely crush LSU in the national championship game in one of the most dominating performances I've ever seen. Yeah. Um. Georgia, near miss. Ohio State, near miss. Michigan, near miss. Uh, TCU, whoa, near miss. And I don't know if I have seen a better football game this year than USC-UCLA. And by the way, footnote, Matt Coulter, M-I-O. I-M-O, is that what it is? That's the prettiest game on television. Yeah. With color. I mean, and that's the way it used to be a long time ago, and then they changed things, which I don't really understand, but... You want to pick one of those out and just go, here's what happened or here's what didn't happen? Well, uh, I think TCU should feel very fortunate that they're uh, still undefeated. Uh, and, and the fact is they are undefeated. And so you've you got to move forward with that. And uh, and, and I, I think they have an excellent shot of making the college football playoffs. Uh, Ohio State was not a thing of beauty but uh, oftentimes you need those close you need to win those close games and eventually that is what uh, turns you into a national champion uh, uh to his little brother talia wow he's a player kid's a player he's not he's not very big but man uh he he put the fear into ohio state no question about it and then there are the others that we will get to but <clears throat> Then the other side of it, people getting pounded that shouldn't get it pounded. Christian Miller is with us. Um, and I guess the biggest one, you know, Arkansas beating Ole Miss senseless was big. Of course, it's big for me since I'm an Arkansas guy. That's because their head but, coach uh, has one foot out the, the door. The biggest, uh, <laughs> you, you thinking that's it? I, 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 100%. Uh, that could be. But but the really, the, the, the real big one is that USC just took Tennessee. And I mean the other, the... University of South Carolina. Shane Christian, Beamer. Beamer they, just took, they just took Tennessee to the woodshed, and it wasn't because Hooker got hurt. It, that happened late. Christian, how are you? I'm doing well, and you're, uh, you're exactly right. I got to watch some of that game, and uh, Gamecocks really came to play. They had Tennessee's number. They had a, an aggressive game plan in all phases of the, uh, of the game, and they just did a great job going out there, and they proved a lot of people wrong. And, you know, Matt, you and I, at the beginning of last year, we both said, "Who's gonna Who's gonna win the Heisman Trophy?" Spencer Rattler. Spencer. Yep. I was all over Spencer Rattler. I was right there. And with you. finally, finally on Saturday, he played like the player we thought he was. Man, he was just making unbelievable throw after throw after throw. I mean, he looked like the the best player in the country against Tennessee, Christian. Uh, and 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 I love the fact that Shane Beamer just brings so much energy on the sideline. And, and Christian, it seems like the uh, South Carolina players just feed off of the exuberance of their head coach. That's exactly right, Lars. And, and you see it every week with those guys. You know, obviously, you know they're not a perfect football team, but I think what makes them stand out is, like you mentioned, is that energy that they feed off of. And it starts with the head coach. You know, they call it Beamer Ball. You know, they, it starts honestly with their special teams unit. They do a really good job being aggressive on special teams, forcing turnovers, and making big plays. And all the other units just feed off of that. And we saw that this past week. You know, Spencer Rattler had a great game, and just overall, man, a really solid performance uh, by the Gamecocks. But you're exactly Exactly right. The energy is uh, is is phenomenal, and that's is the, those kind of things are so important. Those intangibles, you know, coming out there with good energy and confidence is so important to be a good football team. 
you know, first of all, a Beamer with great special teams play. Is anybody surprised by that? Oh, but going takes, back to Shane takes great pride in that from his dad. I mean, he inherited it like uh, DNA genetic code. But uh, Randler had four, six touchdown passes. He looked like the guy we thought, just to repeat myself, he looked like the guy we thought two years ago was going to win the Heisman. And the thing about a game like that is, and it was true with the other ones as well, the favored team, in many eyes, the better team, they get they get punched in the mouth. But you usually see them eventually get up, and then the strong arm comes in. But <laughs> and the same was true with Arkansas. They just kept laying the wood to them. And you, and they just got better and better and better and stronger. And um, I've, nothing against Ole Miss, something against Tennessee. It well, was fun to watch. For Tennessee, Christian, to me, it, it, it felt like you can almost extract a larger meaning from this game and their performance against Georgia, and that is they're just not quite there yet. Maybe it's they don't have the depth. They just – they. They don't haven't figured out a way how to win the big games other than beating Alabama, um, and but they're not ready for sustained uh, sort of time at the top of of, of college football. Um, it just uh, it just felt to me again, Christian, that 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 they're a little bit of, they're not there yet. This Tennessee team hasn't arrived, and it'll be interesting to see what they're like next year, Christian, without Hendon Hooker. Horrible to see that he went down with that ACL. I hope it doesn't affect his draft status. Yeah, and and you know, seeing a guy like that get injured, it's always tough. You know, being a former former player and just you know knowing what the injuries can do to you. You know, I, I just pray that he's able to bounce back and manage that well. But yeah, in in regards to Tennessee, I mean, you look at them. I, I think it's it's an important lesson that sometimes you have to pump the brakes a little bit. I know it's you know easy to get excited when you see these guys doing you know uh, what they were doing. You know, they're putting up all these points and they just look so explosive. But you know, we saw there are some weaknesses on that defense. And I think some people were just kind of overlooking it. Uh, but I think they kind of got exposed to, to to an extent that, you know, hey, they, they still do have some work to do. They still are a really good football team, uh, but they definitely have some things that they need to improve on. But it also goes to show you that, hey, it really is tough to play on the road in the SEC. You know, both of those losses they had, they went on the road to Athens against a really good Georgia football team. And then we just saw them go on the road uh, to my hometown in Columbia, South Carolina, and they, they really struggled there as well. So a lot of critical factors that go into winning these football games in the SEC, especially on the road. Is there something going on in the locker room? You know, we're getting all of these articles, and a lot of it's based on social media. But Jeremy Banks did not make the trip. They're a star linebacker. Uh, and then there was these things about him possibly um, breaking Tennessee rules, confronting Hooker, and then getting into trouble and not being on the plane. I, I don't know how much of that is, but he didn't play. He wasn't there. And uh, just a quick media interjection here play by play um why is fowler breaking things like that on the air in the middle of a football game i don't know was he the first one to have it well this particular article that i read this morning indicated that that kind of started it because he said he isn't here due to a non-football injury that do you think that opens up social media yeah you know what else opened up social media this weekend? Kirk Herbstreet. He is now the king of all TV analysts. You know why? Because his, it was the, <laughs> they were doing college game day in Montana. 
It's as cold as it's ever been, right? And Herb Street's feet got cold. And during break, he had a young woman, apparently a a PA, production assistant, rub his feet. He got foot. No. He got foot rubs in front of fifteen thousand fans, and and of course it's going to go viral on social media. Yes, yeah, so and during the commercial breaks. So hey, Tom Brady, you may be you might be making about what two hundred and fifty million uh, as an analyst next year. Uh, Tony Romo, you might be making almost as much, but do they have their personal foot masseuse? Oh, is he going to get trashed in social media by a certain segment of our society? But, hey, kudos. If he can get the production assistant, it's probably just an intern. I say just an intern. Interns are great. Interns are great. S- seriously, they we are. we got a guest coming up here. Man. Al Del Greco, uh, kicker extraordinaire, should be in the NFL Hall of Fame. Maybe he will be. He is joining us coming up next. Hey, Nissan, how do you get to the top? Calculating. Proceed to 1959. Take a hard left in East Africa at the 71 Safari Rally. Fear right for... A man walks down the street. He says, why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle of the rest of my life is so hard? I need a photo opportunity. I want a shot of redemption. Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. Bone digger, bone digger, dogs in the moonlight. Far away, my well-lit door. Just a beer, Melly, beer, Melly. Welcome back into the show. Beautiful day, but it is, again, chilly. I don't know if it's going to get above 50, maybe 50, 55, something like that, but... It's not that freezing weather that Lars used to experience as a corn husker. Anyway, uh, welcome back to the show. It's Matt, Lars, Christian. We thank Josh and Joe and Hardy and John, all those people that help us in producing both in Tuscaloosa and in Birmingham. Hope to be joined and will be joined uh, by Al Del Greco here in just a second. Uh, here, here are a couple of others that li- literally drop below the radar that I honestly, I looked at them this morning. I went, oh, yeah, that happened, too. Oh, you stomped Oklahoma State in Bedlam. I know. Where's this Oklahoma team been all year? I don't that's, know. And that's then, what uh, we've been waiting for from them. And a uh, good win for Brett Venerables. Try to get the uh, yeah. Oklahoma fan base off his He back. needed that. Yeah, bad. he did. Uh, also, Navy dumped Gus Malzahn, the bus, uh, at Central Florida. Navy's a tough team to prepare for. Yep. They, 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 they really, really are. But And, of course, we got Alabama-Auburn this week. And two more teams have been... Penalized and fine for guess what? Rushing the field. Yeah. And this time, two teams you wouldn't normally think about, but well, actually, maybe since their upsets were that big, you would expect it. Vanderbilt and South Carolina. Other than horses, what are we going to do? Well, let's ask Al, Al Del Greco. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good way to set it up. Hey, Al. <laughs> Good morning, man. Al, how you doing today? I'm great. How you guys doing? Terrific. We're doing terrific. Uh, hey, what is your assessment of just the Auburn program in general, and where do you think they go? Is it going to be Lane Kiffin? Uh, I, I honestly, Lars, I, I wish I knew. Uh, they've kept it pretty 
close to the vest. I mean, I know a lot of people have been trying to get information and see what's which of the rumors are true and which are not. Or uh, nobody really seems to have a, a feed on what's going on. Um, I think you know Kiffin is the most talked about name that all of us have heard about. Um, and you know, you can look at interviews and people are saying, "Oh, look at his body language with the questions that he's answering." And uh, you could probably take it any way you want to look at it. If you're an Ole Miss fan, you're probably looking like, well, we we're willing to give him more money. We're going to keep him here. So I think, you know, obviously with, uh, them playing what they play Thursday, I think the Egg Bowl's Thursday. Um, I don't think we'd find anything out before Saturday anyway, but, uh, we'll have to just wait and see. But I think it'll all come to, uh, fruition probably by the middle of next week and then, we can all kind of just go forward from there, and all the the uh, predicting will be will be stopped. Al, reading way much into it, but that's what we do. To me, the sure. fact that there's not rumors swirling, you're not hearing about anybody except who the fans in the media are talking about. I think that's a good sign. To me, that says Chris Roberts has given the reins to John Cohen. And they're keeping it between them, and and Cohen's got the decision to make, and that's why we're not hearing uh, much other than just what honestly we're stirring up. So, is is that possible? And have you met Doctor Roberts and or John Cohen? Uh, great, great uh, question there, Matt. Um, I I have not met either one yet, uh, but I do think you're correct in. You know, it, it just seems like they're in their little inner circle there. I don't know how many other people are involved. And maybe the fact that, you know, Cohen is, is new, um, he, he doesn't know, you know, who to kind of branch out to or who he can trust. Or uh, Right now it looks like him and Dr. Roberts are the ones that are, you know, kind of doing all this. I know in the past we had search committees and former players and, you know, uh, alumni and stuff on there. And uh, I think that's kind of why the, the stuff kind of leaked out a little bit. But as I said, they're keeping this really close to the vest. And, um, you know, hopefully they, they pick a man that, you know, can lead us into the future. And, you know, the, the most important thing I'm looking for, obviously, uh, I think in today's day and age is you have to be a great recruiter. You got to be able to go into that house or go into the portal and be able to sell your program to somebody to make them want to come there. Um, certainly the, the NIL stuff factors into that as well now. But uh, first and foremost, you know, they, they've got to want to come play for you. And I certainly think, you know, obviously the new football facility is a big plus as well. Spent a lot of money there. I haven't been in it yet. I've seen a couple uh, video run-throughs of it. But uh, it's, it's magnificent. And, hey, they're – Auburn's putting their money where their mouth is, and they know they've got to get a uh, legitimate name in there, I think, this time. And, uh, you know, no no disrespect to Cadillac. I think he's done a great job with the situation that he was put into. But uh, I, I don't, you know, I hope he stays around and, and continues to uh, offer that, you know, I guess hometown uh, loving and all the stuff of what being an Auburn man is all about. Cause as, as you guys know, that's very important to us. Um, but you know, I, I think 
honestly, we, we've got to go a, a different direction there. And who knows? I mean, if he wins this weekend, I'm sure the speculation will grow uh, even more. But um, I, I can't say enough what a great job he's done in the position he was put in. Uh, but I, I think we got to go higher level than that. Auburn's opening up as a pretty big underdog um, for this weekend for the Iron Bowl. Do you feel that that's accurate, given what we've seen from both these teams this far, or do you think that's a little far off? No, I, unfortunately, I think it's pretty accurate. Um, I think, you know, our running game has gotten better uh, with what Cadillac and Wilfriend and, and company have done. Um, passing game still is a little bit, you know, uneven, I think is a good way to put it. Uh, really, there's not a, a whole lot of deep threats um, with what we're doing. We've, we've made some big plays, but it's out of, you know, short throws that have either screens or bubble screens or things like that. So um, I think they're, they know we have to run the football in order to win, and I think they're confident enough, Alabama that is, that, you know, they can man us up on the outside and, and kind of feel like they, they could win that battle. So. I think it's going to be a tough road. If the game was in Auburn, I'd say, you know, with all the hype and atmosphere and everything going around with Cadillac, we'd have a a, a, a better shot. But uh, I, I think it's going to be difficult for them to go into Tuscaloosa and get a win this week. But, hey, it's the Iron Bowl. You never know. And I'll be sitting here cheering my tail off for them. Al, uh, as a player, what is your favorite Iron Bowl memory? Uh, well, probably 82, uh, when we broke the streak and, and beat, uh, Bear Bryant and, uh, Bo over the top and being a part of that, uh, winning the SEC championship in 83 in that, uh, tornado game that we played at Legion Field that was, had the big downpour, uh, my freshman year, I think the first, uh, first field goal I ever kicked in an Iron Bowl was a 52 yard field goal that put us ahead 10 to 7. Um, so I, I had quite a bit. Um, I also had, you know, I, I missed the short field goal in, in Bear Bryant's three fifteen game too. So uh, I I kind of still remember that too. But um, there was just a, a lot of great stuff. And going back to Legion Field and having the crowd and the tickets fifty fifty and and doing that, we'll never see that again. But I think those of us that played in that era really can appreciate. Uh, what that game was all about and, and, and how big it was to go to Legion Field back then. And just to show you how big that game is, and I know this story's been told over and over again, but they're going into the fourth quarter in the 83 game where Bo had two very, very long touchdown runs. Simpson Pepper comes over the PA and says, there is a tornado warning and one spotted in Bessemer. For those of you that need to know and take precaution, not a soul moved. Yeah. Not a well, they, person. They actually, so they actually suggested that, that people leave the stadium, uh, the PA announcer did. And like you said, <laughs> there wasn't one person in that stadium that was about to move. And, man, it, it absolutely deluged uh, that range yep. from the probably the start, the end of the third quarter to about midway through the fourth. And uh, we were we were soaking wet and Actually, it worked in our favor because we had the wind in the third quarter, and when that storm came through there, the wind actually reversed when Alabama was going in that direction in the fourth quarter. So not only was the rain 
uh, a big inhibitor for them, but the, the wind changed and, uh, it, that, that helped us too. So, uh, it was kind of meant to be, I think, and of course being SEC champs outright, uh, that year and, and going on to do what we did. It was a, it was a special group of guys. Aldis, real quick, would you rather kick in high winds or heavy rain? Uh, I would probably say heavy rain um, if, if the if the wind isn't blowing on top of it. We actually played when I was with the Titans. Uh, we were playing down at Jacksonville, and it was I mean it was pouring rain, and we actually I actually kicked two forty eight yard field goals. Uh, in that game, we ended up winning by three. Samari Roll intercepted a pass in the end zone at the end uh, to seal the, the win for us. But uh, I just remember, you know, the ball was obviously a little heavier, but you kind of knew if you kicked it straight, it was going to stay straight, even though it was pouring down rain and the field was soaking wet. But you get those crosswinds and the swirly winds in certain stadiums, you might hit a ball that you think is absolutely perfect and you know, some kind of weird thing happens and it gets a gust or something and uh, kind of blows out of there. So I, I, from experience, I think I'd rather, I'd rather kick in the pouring rain. Great question, by the way, Lars. Hey, thanks, Al. See you later this week. You Hopefully bet. And have a great Thanksgiving with you and your family. Yeah, especially, happy Thanksgiving. Especially the grandkids, man. They're the great. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys and all your listeners. Hope everybody's doing great. Good. Break and be right back. The best sports talk, period. Your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Tencent Nissan is your super savings vehicle dealer right here at home in Tuscaloosa with over 100 pre-owned vehicles in stock and priced for immediate delivery. And yes, if you are looking for a new Nissan... Above freezing, the low at 41. And tomorrow, mostly cloudy, the chance of a few scattered showers, the high at 56. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 54 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on the show, it's Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Christian Miller, bringing you the show on this beautiful Monday of Thanksgiving. Uh, the National Football League. Of course, tonight you got Monday Night Football. This should be a pretty good game. It's uh, 49ers and the Cardinals because both those teams still very much in the playoff picture. Kyler Murray's out. Colt McCoy starting. I'm, I'm all about the Niners, but I'm not a betting guy. We will recognize the fact that Lars and his gang that gathers for these games defeated the um, Steelers, 37-30. You want to give us a, a quick recap? There uh, the Bengals played great. Um, they uh, Joe, Joe Burrow called it uh, the, the most uh, uh, satisfying win of his career. 355 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, and um, wow. he, he played really well. He played really well. And I think just a couple big takeaways. One uh, from the weekend is uh, uh, Kansas City looks like the team to beat. Just they they did a great job coming from behind Sunday Night Football. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, uh, just unstoppable down the stretch on that final drive, and uh, they go on the road and beat the Chargers. Now they're the only eight win team in the NFL. 
there's no team in the AFC West that, other than them, that have a winning record. So you just uh, you can almost like pencil in Kansas City as the number one seed, and also the reigning Super Bowl champs, uh, the Rams. Man, I, I think they're done. Uh, Cooper Cup, uh, they put had to go on the uh, injured reserve with a high ankle sprain. Uh, they lose yesterday. They're they're three and seven. Uh, Matthew S- uh, Stafford suffered his second concussion in two weeks, so you got to think that Stafford's going to be out for a while. And so uh, it looks like there will be no uh, Rams being back in, in in the playoffs this year. And uh, and I tell you, just one, one thing that everybody in in on ESPN is talking about is because it's their hometown team. And that is the New York Jets, and just how awful their their offense was yesterday, uh, losing ten to three. Zach Wilson, uh, former number two overall pick, you got to wonder if his time is is going to be coming uh, to an end as the starter there. Uh, and also, it, it, it seems like he's lost the locker room. He was asked yesterday about, "Hey, do do you did do you feel bad or did did?" Does is the offense need to sort of apologize to the defense? And I'm paraphrasing here, and he said no. And boy, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way on social media. And uh, and, and and Wilson, he's got the yips. Like he, he it was like if you remember Chuck Knobloch of the Yankees, uh, second baseman. He could not. It just it, it ruined his career. He couldn't throw the ball from second base to first. And and Zach Wilson is just missing wide open receivers who are five yards away. But uh, Christian, your, your your takeaways from you did not mention the Eagles, and you know what, Christian, I'm going to let you talk about the Eagles. Because <laughs> yes. by the way, they don't have eight wins. You're right; they have nine, and they came from behind, didn't play all that well. They beat the Colts, Christian. They didn't. Jaylen, play, they played terrible. Jalen hurts. Yeah, Eagles nine yeah, and no. one. Matt, you took you took the words right out of my mouth. That was the team that I was going to mention. Obviously, you know I'm a little biased with Jalen, but sacked. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I thought that was somebody. <laughs> yeah, he, he's busy uh, chasing down the, a quarterback somewhere. Does that show you? Since they lost the week before, does it show you that the Eagles may not be the act end all be all? Well, I don't think. I don't think. Look, nobody is more improved at the quarterback position from last year to this year than Jalen Hurts, and I agree. he he's still. Uh, in the MVP conversation, um, and AJ Brown, the uh, wide receiver that they picked up from uh, the Titans, has really proven to be his go-to guy. Um, but uh, you know, even though they lost that game, the Colts I'm talking about now, don't you think uh, the way that they have played since Jeff Saturday took over as interim coach? I mean, and a guy who's never coached before. And uh, in in the in uh, Ursay, the owner of the Colts, got so much criticism for bringing him in as in in not giving uh, someone else who has more experience a chance. But based on the fact that they went on the road last week and beat the Raiders with Jeff Saturday as coach, and then they almost beat the best team in the NFL, or or at least one of them, uh, the Eagles, probably the best team in the NFC. I think the the, the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL right now, but. Um, they go on the, the they lose to the uh, Eagles, excuse me, at home, seventeen sixteen. Do you think Jeff Saturday deserves a real hard look at becoming the next full time head coach? No, you don't. No, do you? They're playing really well, but he's more of a general manager type. Do you think he's really down there with his hand in the dirt? Well, I and mean, how much he, do you learn about the National Football League if you're not involved in it on a day to day? If not 
a year-to-year basis. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I tell you what, I'd like for him to do well. I like it. Don't didn't want him to beat the Eagles, but and also uh, Justin Fields. Do you think the way he plays, he's quarterback for the the Chicago Bears, former Ohio State Buckeyes player. Um, do you think how he plays is it sustainable? I mean, he was he had issues with his hamstrings yesterday. He got he hurt his shoulder. I mean, he also is playing at a really high level. Uh, had 85 rushing yards, uh, 153 passing yards, and the 27-24 loss to the Falcons. But uh, he's just getting—he's uh, he, taking a lot of big hits. And I just don't know, Matt, if that is uh, sustainable or not. He does, but you know, you can't continue to take the big hits. But he's a big man, and and he can—he uh, can take them. He can take. The, the hits, but uh, we'll see, we'll see. But uh, the NFL, I, I, I think it's pretty clear the best teams are in the AFC, and uh, the NFC is going to probably have a harder time in the Super Bowl. Whoever emerges, uh, Dallas looked good yesterday, absolutely pounding the Vikings, pounding the Vikings in almost a, a, a perfect performance. Um, so. I don't know. I would say the best team in the NFC right now is the Eagles. Best team in the AFC, well, as really reflected thinking, in their records. I was really thinking a lot about the Vikings. Man, they got mashed yesterday. Kirk Cousins, just when it's a big game, I don't know if you can trust him. Uh, he's, what, does he have one playoff win? Hey, Jeff Perlman. Perlman. Uh, Perlman. I'll get this right in yeah. just a second. Uh, he'll be a uh, fantastic uh, friend of Lars and a fantastic author will be with us next hour. So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen, and galaxies are a huge gravity. Who you are is more important than what you do. The only way that you're going to have any kind of success in your life, you have to buy into a process of what it takes to reach a goal. How can I be the best I can be at what I do? How much of your time was spent, and how much was it invested in your goal? can't do it unless you can overcome adversity, because that's what makes great things great is the things that you had to overcome to accomplish them. We have about five choices in our life, and everybody has a choice as to what they want to do and how they want to do that. But if you're going to be excellent or elite, you got to do special things. You have to have special intensity. You have to have special focus. It doesn't matter what God-given ability that you have, but without the rest of it, I'm not sure you ever get excellent or elite. You have to have toughness. What does it take to break you? I don't care what circumstance you're faced with. What does it take to break your focus, to make you give in? You're tired or you don't feel like giving effort or finishing the play like you should? I'm not saying it's our goal to try to break you. It's just the way it is in football. It's going to be difficult if you're getting yourself ready to play at a high level. And just because you got beat on the last play, that can't affect the next play. That's breaking you. Your frustration is breaking you. What does it take to break you? We should help others. We should serve other people all the time. You cannot be a leader and affect other people if you're not willing to serve other people. Think of our lives as every day we should appreciate the opportunity that we have to accomplish and affect something. Earn this. Everybody made all these sacrifices for you to live. Go live a good life. Be a good father. Help other people. Accomplish something of significance. Make a difference. That would be my message to everybody here. Make a difference and help everybody's spirit in a positive way. God bless you and roll tight.
Jay Barker led the Crimson Tide to a national championship in 1992, winner of the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award and a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, voted the SEC Player of the Year and was drafted by the Green Bay Packers, also seeing time with the New England Patriots and the Carolina Panthers. He is the winningest quarterback in Alabama history, 35-2-1, member of the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Jay Barker brings that same championship quality and football expertise to his own radio network and show. Joining him is Lars Anderson, New York Times best-selling author, 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated, and professor at the University of Alabama. Live from the AVX studios in Birmingham, Alabama, The Jay Barker Show. Welcome to the program. It is uh, Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson and Christian Miller as we bring you this Monday edition of the program. We've been talking extensively college football, a little NFL in the first hour, but uh, let's let's just uh, let's clobber it over the head here. Auburn, Alabama, Lars. The, the Tigers have a chance. I do. I think they have a chance <laughs> in the Iron Bowl. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, Cadillac Williams, I, I thought he was very clever when he was uh, asked about Nick Saban uh, after uh, after Auburn's win on Saturday night, and he said he passed on me in the 2005 NFL draft. <laughs> he took Ronnie Brown over me, and uh, and and Ronnie Brown <laughs> went number two overall, and, and Cadillac went number five overall to the Buccaneers. But, um, look, hey, we are in, uh, you know it's Iron Bowl week when my, or at least I know it's Iron Bowl week when I get all these texts from from friends and and just other people I know in the state uh, with these weird conspiracy theories. And one of them is that the Eagles, the band the Eagles, must be Auburn fans because the Eagles are Nick Saban's favorite band and they're playing in Birmingham tonight. So it's going to be a big distraction for Saban because he's going to want to go to the show. I I wish a reporter would have asked him at the press conference if Are he was going to see the, if he was going to come see the show. I would guess that he is. Again, I would that's just a guess, but maybe wrong. Uh, but uh, I know I would like to be going. I don't have tickets yet. I, I may just. I thought go. you were going with Nick. I mean, maybe that was <laughs> Christian Miller's going. But, with but Nick. you know, another conspiracy theory I'm hearing. Uh, Matt is that um, uh, Alabama, uh, the Alabama team is intentionally going to lose this game because if Cadillac Williams and Auburn upset Alabama, that means Cadillac is going to have to be the next head coach. And uh, Alabama fans want Cadillac as the next coach and not Lane Kiffin. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think the last not. part is true. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Christian. Christian. Oh, I just was saying, guys, there's no way, absolutely no way that would ever be the case. <laughs> That's a good one, though. That's a good I one. know. It is, it, it is a good one. Um, Christian, just your big sort of picture analysis of the Iron Bowl uh, this year and, and, uh, and, and what it means and, and also just your experience in this game. Yeah, well, I mean, the Iron Bowl is always a big one. It's a big rivalry. There's a lot of 
a lot of bad blood between us two programs and uh it's always exciting you know it means so much to the people in this state so it's it's honestly the biggest game on the schedule besides obviously playing for championships but you know i think this year is definitely going to be interesting you know i think for alabama this is a statement game you know i think they need to go out there not only win but i think they need to end the season the regular season on the right on the right note and there's no better way to do that than to go dominate your opponent in auburn which is your, your biggest rival so you know i think it's a statement game for alabama i think um, it's a great opportunity for them to, to finish the season strong and and help uh, reestablish that culture of making other teams quit like we've heard coach Saban talk about in uh, recent weeks and uh, you know Auburn has a lot to play for as well you know they're trying to ride for the new coach or their interim coach Cadillac Williams right now and everybody's kind of rallying behind him so what what better way to end this little story that they have going on than for them to come down to Tuscaloosa and and, and leave with a big win against Alabama so there's a lot going well, into this let's game start the insanity <laughs> Christian, but let's, uh, no, this week of all weeks, do you pay more or less attention to media and social media? Uh, you know, you're going to see a lot more. You'll definitely see a lot more. I, I think it's best to, to not pay attention to it, though. Um, but unfortunately, you're going to see a lot more because the talk is all about the Iron Bowl. I mean, everybody knows what this game means to everyone in this state. And uh, the biggest thing you can do is just stay away from it. Stay away from the rat poison, like Coach Saban calls it, and just focus on your task at hand. And that's going out and, and, and beating your opponent. Because, again, this, this is a big one. And it means a lot to the guys in the locker room, the coaches, and everybody in the whole state of Alabama. Alabama is basically right now a 21, 22-point favorite wherever you look, and it's a really big spread. Um, Christian, what it would be the path to victory for Auburn? Uh, not and, and also just to, to, to keep it close, what, what does Auburn need to do in this game uh, to really give Alabama some fits? Well, if we look at what uh, has gave Alabama fits earlier in the year, I mean, pretty much – uh, you look at what Tennessee did. You know they attacked attacked us deep in the passing game, and that really hurt us. And uh, ultimately, on defense, the biggest thing you can do against Alabama right now is you know stop Bryce Young and limit him and limit what he can do. And so I think their game plan going into this would be to try to establish a good run, running game, which is what their, their their strong suit is right now. Then open up the pass game some way or another if they can, and try to attack Alabama secondary. Um, even though that's probably going to be a challenge um, from what we've seen so far from them. But, um, you know, ultimately on defense, they definitely have to find a way to stop Bryce Young um, because we've seen, you know, um, in the game against LSU, he didn't have his best game. And ultimately we, you know, we lost that game. So if I'm them, you know, I want to affect Bryce the best that I can, even though he's a Houdini, he's going to make plays, but um, do what you can to stop him. and, and, And maybe you have a shot at keeping it close. I don't. I think the twenty-two point spread is a little too too steep, but uh, you know I, I still see Alabama pulling away with a nice victory in this game. What does Alabama need to do? I mean, I, I tell you one thing: in Alaska, may not be as flashy, forced three turnovers. Last couple of weekends, Alabama's defenses looked pretty strong. Mm-hmm. No, you're right, and uh, Alabama needs to continue that that strength on their defense. They need to do a really good job stopping the run because Auburn's definitely going to try to attack them in the running game. Um, so the biggest thing they need to do is, is win the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively. Um, we've seen that when Alabama is physical up front and gets pushed on the line of scrimmage, our running game is so much better. We see Jace McCullen um, and Jameer Gibbs, those guys, Roydell Williams, they play so much better when, when the offensive line is playing very physical and aggressive up front. And, and defensively, it's the same thing. you you got to stop the run, and that all starts in the trenches, being physical, getting good knockback, getting off your block, shedding blockers, playing sideline to sideline. 
And we've seen Alabama's defense do that, so I expect them to do that this week. Any big takeaways, Christian, from uh, Alabama's shutout victory on Saturday? We know I really like that they they were uh, really aggressive at forcing turnovers. Um, I think they had a pair of fumbles, and they also had uh, uh, two interceptions to go along with that. Um, you, you know, you always want to force turnovers, and the, right now that's one thing that Alabama has been struggling with. You know, our turnover margin going into the game, I think we were 96th in the FBS um, for our turnover ratio. I think maybe at negative four. Um, I think we ended up breaking even in this game because, unfortunately, we, we gave the ball over um, to Austin P a couple of times or I think three times total. But, um, you know, I think that's just one of those things where we just have to continue to be aggressive and, and try to force as many turnovers as possible because that, that showed in this game. And, again, anytime you force turnovers, you're giving your team a much better chance to win. That's one of the things we always emphasized in our meetings is that when we force turnovers and limit our turnovers – the the winning the winning rate is so much higher and that's why it's so critical. And in the meantime, Auburn's been very uh giving in that statistic. So uh something's gonna fall one way or the other there. Hey, we've got Perlman coming up. Jeff, right? Yeah, Jeff Perlman, the author of The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, uh and it debuted on the New York Times best selling list. Uh Jeff and I worked together for about 15 years at Sports Illustrated. He's out in L.A. now. And, um, man, I pitched this idea to my literary agent about six months before Jeff pitched it to his. And my agent declined to, to do it because he thought it would be too much of a regional book. And Jeff is just making bank on this. But Jeff also, uh, he's written, I think, 10 books. And his book, Showtime, is the basis for the HBO series, Showtime. And Jeff just made his acting debut last week. And That's we one on magic. We can ask him about that. Uh, well, he hasn't. Uh, he just they just filmed it. Okay. He actually he, he played a reporter early in season one. But I, I think he actually had a, more than just one line uh, in uh, in this upcoming season. So we'll, we'll ask him about that as well, and just uh, really just about Bo Jackson and and and, and sort of unraveling the, the truth about Bo Jackson. And and there is so much mythology built up around him. And, and Jeff, he did an astonishing 720 interviews for this book. 720 interviews. Just, he is an amazing reporter, as dogged as they come. 721. We'll be right back. No one covers Alabama football better than 95.3 The Bear and Tide 100.9. We are the flagship home of Alabama football. Each game day, D.C. and Matt Cole. Above freezing, the low at 41. And tomorrow, mostly cloudy, the chance of a few scattered showers, the high at 56. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 56 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Yes, I'm always sore after my first game. The very first play, I thought they had cut me in half right at the ribcage. Bruised rib, sore shoulder, sore neck from hitting because you don't do that in baseball. <laughs> You're right in the book. Football is easy. Bow on bow. Bo on his game. Bo knows Bo. 
All right. Our next guest is Jeff Perlman, good friend of mine. We worked together at Sports Illustrated for about 15 years. Jeff uh, is the author of 10 books, I believe, and uh, his latest is The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Uh, and for this book, Jeff did what he always does, and that is work his tail off. He conducted uh, 720 original interviews, and the book went straight to the New York Times bestselling list. And, and Jeff, I, I have to tell you, about six months before you got your book deal, I had pitched Bo Jackson biography to my literary agent in New York, and he told me, ah, we got to pass on this, Lars. We, you don't want to do it. It's a regional book. Nobody in Seattle or uh, Los Angeles is going to want to read about Bo Jackson. It's an Alabama book. Well, Jeff, congratulations, <laughs> my man. You came in my backyard and you kicked my butt. <laughs> what a well, great book. Uh, what was it? What, okay, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so first of all, my agent, who I love, um, he was representing, he represents me and he was representing um, a guy named Jesse Washington, an excellent writer who's doing a, who did a John Thompson book. And when I pitched Bo Jackson, told my agent about Bo Jackson, he was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, I'm telling you, this thing's going to sell. He's like, I just don't think it has the legs of a John Thompson kind of book. And so your agent was not alone in giving you, uh, but I just, <laughs> I just think the mystique of Bo Jackson and I, you know, having grown up in New York and having had Bo Jackson posters on my wall and knowing my friends also had Bo Jackson posters on the wall. I just sort of thought there was more to it than that, you know. And when did you know that you were on to something special? And, and what was your process like? Did you contact Bo right away and, and see if he was cool with you doing it? How did that work? Well, I did. I um, I called Bo, or no, I wrote Bo a letter with a bunch of my books. I had an address, sent him a bunch of my books. This is early, early, early in the process in 2020. And he called me one day. I was sitting in my in my backyard in California, and he called me. And he was super nice. He's like, uh, hey, he was driving to get his wife a salad. You know, he lives in Burridge, Illinois, and he was driving in his car. He's like, I got your books, and I appreciate you reaching out. Um, and he basically said, I don't, I don't have a problem with you doing a book, but I am, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to help you. Uh, I just get asked about these things all the time. And I said, that's fine. And I'd say the moment when I knew I – the moment, the moment for me was um, it turns out Bo Jackson wrote his autobiography in 1990. Dick Schaap wrote it, legendary late journalist. And before Dick Schaap passed away, he donated, years before he passed away, he donated all his notes, all the audio cassette recordings of all the interviews he did with Bo Jackson back in 1989 to 90 to the Auburn Library. And the Auburn Library, it turns out, had all this stuff sitting in the basement, cardboard boxes. And I paid for them to put it on, you know, they put it on, they duplicated it and sent it all to me. And most of that material never appeared in Bo Jackson's original book. It was just hours and hours of amazing detail, rich detail. And that was sort of, you know, we all have, as journalists, we all have these moments where you're like, ah, and that was my ah moment. That is great. That I love that. And when you, I know you traveled to Alabama. Unfortunately, you and I didn't get a hookup. But uh, what was your impression of people's uh, just when they talked about Bo uh, and, and they just uh, described what they saw from Bo, what, what was your impression when you came here and, and, and met with people face-to-face? It was great. I mean, the thing that's funny is, so I was recently in Alabama and I did a bunch of book events. And to my great delight, they were, like, really well attended and it was really fun. 
And I was wondering how people would respond to, you know, well, Bo didn't talk to the book, Bo didn't talk. And I think if anyone knows Bo, like, he definitely is guarded, and he definitely has a prickly side to him. So when you tell people he didn't talk, you get a lot of, well, that's Bo. You know, well, that's Bo. I totally get that. That's Bo. Um, But the other thing you get is, oh, let me tell you a story you don't have in your book. I was at this game, and he did blank. And, oh, let me... Do you know about the guy he ran over for whoever, you know, Texas? Were you at that game? Do you know about that? It's just a lot of, like, you're not going to believe this story I have about Bo. I mean, the book is almost 500 pages, and I'd say if I just made it Bo's Jackson stories, it could have been 10,000 pages. Let me tell you about the home run he hit at Sanford. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, I've been very, very fortunate. I, <laughs> I covered Bo's last year at McCullough. Uh, when he it was in McCullough, it's at McAdory. Uh, then all his Auburn years, uh, McAdory High School. Uh, so I know him certainly not as well as you do. And I read the Dick Shap book; it was a wonderful read. Uh, tell me what I'm going to find out that uh, nobody else knows, or at least I don't know. I mean, I just think there are a lot of well. One of my favorite stories that I know hasn't been reported anywhere is, uh, and this is a random one, but he shows up for the uh, he signs with the Raiders in '87. And um, he shows up, and Tom Flores is a head coach, and he uh, he has Bo run a forty on grass in pads, and he runs a four one nine, and they don't believe it. The coaches literally don't believe it, and they run, they line out the forty to make sure they have the distance right. Have him run it again, and he runs a four one seven. Another thing I just love is, and I, I reported this really hard. When he was a senior at McAdory, he played in a game against Fairfield. I don't know if you saw this game, baseball game. And everyone kept telling me he hit a ball so high that by the time it came down in left field, he was rounding third base. And I thought, that sounds ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I kept more and more people kept telling me, you got to find out about this game. you got to find out about this game. It was amazing. I was there. I was there. So I tracked down Eddie Scott, who was the left fielder for Fairfield High that day. And he said, I'm telling you, I've never seen a ball that went higher. He goes, I looked up. I, he said, I lost it in the darkness, not in the light, in the darkness. It went so high. He said, it comes down. I pick it up. I bend over to, to throw to second. And Bo is rounding third and heading for home. And I just want to say, the other thing that's crazy along those lines, he stole 90 out of 91 bases when he was at McAdory in his career. The only guy to ever throw him out was a guy named Sam Doss, was Jess Lanier's catcher. Well, I tracked down Sam Doss. And he had this amazing story, high fastball. I remember vividly throwing him out. Bo Jackson comes out for his next at-bat, hits a home run, crosses home plate, and winks at me. And I just, like, I love those little details and those little stories. Awesome. Really. Well, let me, let me ask you this. You know, obviously, Bo Jackson was, you know, great, the, arguably the greatest athlete of all time. Did he ever speak on, like, his training regimen and how, how he prepared for, for both football and baseball or what it took? I mean, a lot of it probably was, you know, God-given ability. But what was, what was his training like? Did he ever speak on that? Yeah, well, it's really interesting because he um, – I don't think it's an exaggeration or an insult to say when he was at Auburn and then his early years with the Royals and the Raiders, it was a lot of stretch my left leg, stretch my right leg, put on my uniform, okay, I'm ready to go. You know, like he was just really, really, really beyond gifted. And what changed – is the hip injury in 1991 suffered during the playoff game against the Bengals. And all of a sudden, first he has a diseased hip, and then he has an artificial hip. 
And suddenly he no longer was Bo Jackson, the Bo Jackson, the superhero. He was Bo Jackson fighting to be a DH on the White Sox. And that's when he really discovered something inside of him. And I think it's actually really cool. Like, he's in the training room all the time. He's doing pool work. He's swimming laps. Bo Jackson never swam laps. Bo Jackson's on the exercise bike. He never did the exercise bike. Bo Jackson's lifting weights. He hated lifting weights. Like, hated with a passion lifting weights. And when he needed to be, when he needed to be dogged in order to come back and prove something to people, prove that he could still do it, prove to the Royals that they made a mistake, um, he did it. And that's really when his work ethic kicked in. Because, uh, you know, he really was just a superhero, ungifted athlete. He wasn't not a hard worker, but he had a lot of gifts that allowed him to not have to, you know, dig and dig and dig like a lot of players. Uh, talking to Jeff Perlman, author of The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, which has gone straight to the New York Times bestsellers list. Uh, Jeff's, Jeff interviewed 720 people for the book. Uh, and I know you're known for interviewing a lot of people in all the books you've done. Uh, I think 720 is uh, the most you've ever done. But out of everyone you spoke to, who was the most engaging and, and who gave you your sort of I, you, you, you've listed a few anecdotes uh, that were are just amazing, but is there one interview that sticks out and in, in information that you got? Yeah, actually, I would say the guy who really did it for me, I spoke with Lionel James, Lionel Little Train James, who actually died about half a year ago. And um, he was Bo's sort of mentor at Auburn, you know, fellow running back, shared a place in the backfield. And what I really found fascinating was um, their sophomore year, Bo, excuse me, Bo's sophomore year, uh, Sewell Hall, the athletic dorm at, at Auburn, was under uh, repair. So all the athletes were placed in, um, in mobile, hose, uh, mobile housing units all around Auburn, the town of Auburn. And Lionel James told me, and I just found this really fascinating, the dynamic at the time, that Pat Dye, the head coach, came up to Lionel and Bo and said, um, listen, I know you guys are dating white women. Um, I don't have a problem with it. You're here at Auburn. It's a you know very white school. He goes, but I don't think it's going to go over well um, if people are aware of this. So I'm going to put you in a housing unit as far off campus as possible. And Lionel James told me he actually really loved and admired Pat Dye. But he also said that, um, he said, like, it really caused him to start thinking about his place at Auburn and this idea that, like, I'm getting my body beaten. You guys are cheering for me. Every every Saturday I'm in a stadium where it's just lined with fans cheering and praising me. But would you let me date your daughter? Would you let me come over for dinner? And it was like, I think it was an interesting thing that a lot of athletes back in the day, and maybe some still to this day, African-American athletes go through when you're playing college sports. I thought that was very interesting. Wow. So... Fascinating on many, many levels. And, and I'm Jeff's biggest fan, and to me, this is your best book, Jeff. I absolutely love it. How do we get it? <laughs> you send me ten thousand dollars, and I send you a copy, signed. Or you can go to Amazon. You can just go to Amazon. <laughs> wow, no wonder you're making so much money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookseller. It's I've everywhere. got it. I read the foreword. I'm 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 already uh, you know engulfed in it. So uh, I'll let you know next time you come on. Thank you so oh, much, thank Jeff. You. Thanks, right, Jeff. Have a great Thanksgiving with your All family. Right. All right. Uh, really good stuff. And um, it, he starts the book uh, with a little story about uh, 
trying to get through TSA with a bow item. It's, it's really it's uh, incredibly it's, it's interesting. A, it's an amazing book. Well, he's an amazing guy. Uh, and so is his show. Christian Miller is with us. There's Lars Anderson. I'm Matt Coulter. Back in a moment. Best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi. We want to make sure that kids in our area have a Merry Christmas. And here's how you can help out during... Hey, back on the show, it's Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, Christian Miller is with us. Really fascinating and uh, informative interview with Jeff Perlman, who wrote, um, give me the name again, The, the Last Folk Hero? That's, yeah, Last Folk Hero, and in, uh, biography good, of Bo Jackson. Good title. Um, A great Christian, title. Christian, do you remember watching Bo? I do not remember watching him, but I've heard so many things about him, and I've seen the clips of him. And you just talk about a phenomenal athlete, man, especially to be able to be a professional. It's so hard to be a professional football player, <laughs> but to be a professional football player and a professional baseball player, man, I'm a little jealous of him. Boy, Matt, he was outstanding at both, let me tell you. All right, so Matt, you got to tell us your favorite Bo uh, Jackson story. Jeff should have interviewed you. Uh well, and for the book, I could have been 721. Is that yeah, what you're you telling could have me? Been 721. Okay. Um, just two quick things. Uh, I remember editing up uh, a piece on Bo for our Iron Bowl back when it was truly the Iron Bowl special. And um, I was getting a, a piece of videotape where he was playing against Florida State and he broke through the line. He ran over a linebacker and then he cut up the sideline and he was, whoo, he was gone. And on the way, this small human being got in the way, and it ended up looking like, um, you remember the sp- you'd put a baseball card in your spokes, and it would just whip it? Mm-hmm. It was Deion Sanders, and Bo just ran over him like he was just uh, a, a small object in the road. But the one I was talking to Perlman about, uh, he was playing baseball for Auburn, and they were playing at Sanford's Stadium. Um, he hit a line drive home run that I don't think ever came down. If it did, it was rolling around somewhere on Lakeshore. But it was one of those contacts you make in baseball where people don't start cheering. In fact, they stop, look, and listen. And everybody was silent as he ran the bases because it was and I'm not you know how you get exaggerations it went over the wall in center which was about 400 feet and it was still going up I don't know how 600 650 feet it was mammoth and then finally when he hit a home plate everybody started going crazy but you've been in moments like that where it is such in awe that you just sit there you just can't believe it um when I wrote my first book on playground basketball, I interviewed, uh, tried to or focus in on who's the best pickup player in New York City, in Los Angeles, in Detroit, uh, all across the country, best prison player. 
And uh, I remember I was talking with uh, Alexander Wolf, who was kind of one of my mentors. Uh, he was a writer at Sports Illustrated. Now he's literally in the basketball, the NBA Hall of Fame. Um, he said, you know, when it comes to pickup basketball, facts don't sit still. They move around because everything is exaggerated and it's everybody is uh, hyperbolic. And it's the same thing with Bo Jackson. Facts don't sit still when it comes to the legend of Bo Jackson. Uh, one of my favorite in this and in, in, in what's so great about the book is all these anecdotes of these incredible athletic feats that we haven't heard of before. Like the fly ball, the fly ball. Awesome. Another one. Just for blank and giggles, uh, Bo was taking BP left-handed uh, in the Metrodome, uh, Minnesota. Left-handed, BP, he hits the farthest ball in the history of the stadium. Left-handed. Uh, I got, I got I another mean, one. I mean, they, they, it, it, but they just don't stop. They don't. Um, at the Superdome in 83 when Auburn played Michigan. Uh, should have won the national championship that year, in Matt Coulter's opinion. But um, uh, I can't remember who the punters were, but they were all trying to punt the ball high enough to hit the gondola yeah. in the very top of the Superdome. And they were coming kind of close. Bo comes over there and takes the football and throws it and hits the gondola. First time. Walks off. See you, Bo. Uh, Christian, Christian, I, do you have a, a a story that has been passed down to you about Bo Jackson uh, that you or or one that sticks out? I mean, a lot of people talk about uh, running over Bosworth and that Monday Night Football performance in Seattle, uh, running through the scoring that long touchdown run, going into the tunnel. Uh, is is there one that uh, sticks out to you? You know, Lars, you're probably going to be mad when I say this, but I, I truly think I might just be too young, man. I just <laughs> like I don't think I've really heard or seen too much. Like again, I've seen his highlights and I I know so much about him, but in terms of specific plays and whatnot, I I honestly just can't say that that I know or that, that I've seen um, ones. So I'm I'm honestly learning so much. Um, listening to you guys talk about it, and it sounds like I need to go ahead and pick up a copy of Jeff's book at this point yeah. because there's so many things to learn about this guy and his career. What about your dad? You know, I probably should ask him, and I, I, I'll do that as soon as we finish up. I, I'll probably give him a call. I bet and, they faced each other. Yeah. I'm sure, Why don't we yeah, just they, get him on the show tomorrow? We we can. Let's do it. You know, I'm telling you, he would be glad yeah. to. He loves talking ball. So he'll, he'll I'll get him on here for sure. Awesome. Uh, and the longer you hang around here, the more stories you're going to hear. And Lars said, you know, uh, on certain occasions they might be embellished a little, um, but not much. Yeah. It, I, I saw him play. Auburn came to Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, I think in 1983. And uh, Lionel, Lionel James, who I did a, a – I did a show with Lionel James for a while uh, called Cooking with the Pros. It's like we would talk ball and then we would cook some stuff. It was really weird. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But Lionel was so great, and I was so sad to hear uh, of his passing. But um, Auburn came to Lincoln. It was a really rainy day. And uh, Nebraska ended up beating Auburn 13 to three, and and Bo Jackson and, and Lionel just couldn't get anything done because it was just pouring, pouring rain. 
but there were just he was just so much bigger than everybody else. He was bigger, he was faster, and I, I think the only comparison sort of historically that I can that comes to my mind and it's somebody that I've written a book on is, is Jim Thorpe for all around athlete. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, I, I think if, uh, I mean, it's two different eras, so it's impossible to compare sort of in their prime at their peak, who was the greatest all around athlete. And I think Deion Sanders has to uh, be in that conversation as well. Yeah. Um, Bo was good. At, he was a really good track star. Yeah. Obviously, with four one nine or four one seven speed, he could have been. But why did uh, he ultimately choose Auburn over Alabama? Uh, okay, Here, here's what I've been told, and, and I think that uh, it, there's a lot of truth to it. Um, Bo was such a phenomenal athlete, but he's one of those guys that never came off the football field. And um, you know, he was he was an incredible linebacker. I mean, can you imagine that yeah. guy? <laughs> With a free field going sideline to sideline, he could play any position. Uh, Coach Bryant was hinting at putting him at linebacker. Well, it's you know it's like the Philip River story about Alabama and Auburn wanting to make him a safety, and was not a good decision. And as a result, Bo went to Auburn. I think Bo also uh, saw kind of a turning of the tide then, and that's why he went to, to Auburn. And uh, glad he did. Yeah, is there a favorite memory you have of him at Auburn, just on on football on the football field? Uh, this was pregame, but they once challenged every every little kid. This was like before spring game. Every little kid could line up on the twenty, and Bo would start at the goal line, and they would try and beat him to the other end. <laughs> and I remember watching this, and it looked animated because uh, Bo caught him at like the forty. Or the fifty, and then he ended up passing them. And you know, some of these kids were pretty good, little fast. Nothing. Uh, he was standing in the end zone when the other little kids were running in. Uh, but on the field, I'll think of one. We'll, we'll go to go to that on the other side of the break. Sounds good. Let's talk. I some feel more Iron bad because we're just leaving Iron CM in the dirt here. <laughs> but uh, we'll go to more talk about Alabama and Auburn. to be inside Bryant Denny in the middle of the field sitting in the lower bowl watching your beloved Alabama Crimson. Show with Lars Anderson with Christian Miller and Matt Coulter. Lengthy conversation about Bo Jackson in the book that Jeff Perlman just released called uh, Folk Hero. Uh, great book. I'm in the middle of reading it. Actually, I'm very, very beginning. But people have called in. They want to talk about it. John T. will let you wrap up our show with your thoughts on Bo Jackson. Man, I sure will. Let me tell you, I believe Deep Crimson. But let me go ahead and tell you, when you see greatness, you appreciate it. i tell you what, during his time in Major League Baseball, if he struck out, he would break the bat over his knee. 
Now that's a man. But in the um, All-Star game, when he climbed the wall to catch a, a home run ball and jump down and throw a runner out at the home plate, my goodness gracious, wide. That's just a freak of an athlete. Just God gifted. The runner, by the way, was Harold Reynolds, who could fly. And Reynolds yeah. said after the game, says, I, I can't that, that that couldn't did have you just see, happened. Did you see Reynolds, the look on his yeah. face when it's, that happened? Yeah, he, it was like, just like, wait, wait, what? Why what? am I even sliding here? <laughs> I'm talking. It was and then, a uh, shot out of a cannon. <laughs> and, and, you know, in the the famous picture, when he climbed the wall, you know, his cleat stuck in the yeah. in the in the in the covering in the blue phone and come down and just lit it out the candle. Now I was at I was at the game um, when Auburn played Alabama um, here um, that joke at, at the at the suit, and he hit a home run that landed on the front steps of Coleman Coliseum. <laughs> Unreal. And that's opposite field. Oh, opposite yeah. field didn't matter to Bo. <laughs> no, no. That's he another 570 foot. <laughs> I'm talking, it was huge, man. It was huge, but um, I tell you what, I, I do believe he's probably one of the um, greatest athletes that um, this country's ever seen. In fact, I agree. Um, um, my first deployment in Iraq in 2003, I had a captain that ran track for LSU in his college days. And he said he was a freshman and, um, his first track meet, SEC track meet, he was having to run against Bo Jackson and Herschel Walker. And he was like, <laughs> My goodness gracious. He goes, I'm 5'10", and I weigh about 215. These are men. And it was just, it was like, hell, I was damn defeated before before even the them. <laughs> you know, the gun went off. But that that's pretty cool. Yeah. The only know, person... The only person I ever thought could uh, compare to him on a football field and on a track was Herschel. Um, yeah. But the one thing I remember somebody telling me about, and I think actually I think Bo said it, uh, Bo didn't play basketball. You know why? He couldn't dribble. And he admitted it. He said, <laughs> I just have a hard time dribbling the basketball. And then he says, I ain't got no problem dunking it. <laughs> that amazes me that he would have a problem dribbling. He probably I just mean, didn't try. He, he, yeah, I, I think he was just... I don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, he was, he was, he was Do y'all remember the Bo Nose commotion? Oh, commotion? Yeah. Yeah. Got, He's got, driving I've an Indy car. Is playing hockey. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've got I got the book Bo Nose Bo. It's a fascinating. Yeah. Uh, read. That was a chap chap book. And yeah, it, it I was don't a know great if it's read really too. It, that he threw a rock and. Kill the the neighbor's hog. I don't know if that's true or not. You know, 
it was just something you always read, you know, one of these, you know, folklore stories. I don't know. But it was a great read. And I great call, read John T. Oh, listen, guys. Y'all have yeah. a wonderful day. I appreciate you listening. Happy Thanksgiving yep, to y'all. Too. Yes, sir. Thank you. You too. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Yep. Yeah, um, you know, Jeff, again, Jeff Perlman wrote the biography of Bo Jackson and uh, spoke to Jeff uh, about 30 minutes ago in, in just story after story, um, monstrous athletic feat after athletic feat. Uh, we're talking Paul Bunyan type of things going on here. Uh, it's just uh, really uh, amazing, amazing. And, and, I'm, and I'm glad, I'm so glad this book because it has sort of revived the discussion about Bo Jackson being one of the great all-time American athletes and and uh, when when Jeff told us that he found the in the deep in the Auburn library in the archives like you know Amazing. 20 hours of, of Bo Jackson talking to Dick Shap and none of that made it, or not much of that made it into his own biography um, or autobiography, uh, just that's just pure literary gold. And I love those moments. Uh, every reporter uh, has those throughout their career, if you're lucky, or once or twice. And uh, If you're good. Uh, yeah, I mean, just... It, it just and, and Jeff had to do write this book during the pandemic, right? So it wasn't like he could do a lot of traveling. He did come to Alabama and uh, interviewed a ton of people here, but most of it was done over the phone and just... Uh, you know, going through uh, old archives at different libraries across the country. And he does such a great job of just recreating what it felt like at the time. Uh, CM, uh, Christian, have you gotten your Thanksgiving turkey yet? Yep, I got a turkey ready to roll. And, uh, man, I can't wait. Talking about it on that uh, Tide Tailgate pregame show, (laughs) y'all got me ready for Thanksgiving. So I'm fired up, guys. I am, too. It's just a couple of days away. Thanks, guys, for the show. Thank you to Josh and to Joe and to Hardy and to John, the guys that are producing the show. Of course, have a great day. You, too. Friday savings at the Home Depot, you'll find top brand kitchen appliances with innovative features that can do more so your holidays can be more. Ovens with built-in air fryers for baking the perfect cookies. Dishwashers.